So undoubtedly, most of us leave college thinking that we've got a lot of good stories. Of course, it's the time of your life. You should leave with some at least decent tales coming out of it. But let me tell you, none of us, no matter how much fun you had for four or in Sean's case, seven years, uh, can match what Michael Motti brings. And that is what we bring to you here in the Friday episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Andrew Callahan, Sean Fitz, a lengthy interview with Michael Motti. We'll wrap up this week's episode. And a little teaser preview in case you don't believe me. How about fighting USC coaches on the front laws of a Connecticut house. Well, that caught your eye because it was obviously Connecticut, but yeah. Not going to lie, yes, but didn't happen, almost did. You'll learn who stopped him and why, Uh, but phenomenal interview, and all all credit goes to Monty. He's fantastic. Uh, He's fascinating. Uh, The stories he has, the stories he can't tell us are even better, but yeah, he he, he left some good ones in here for us. I can't wait to get to that piece, and we'll try to go quick, so we know what you want to get to. We'll get to that later, and yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, let's be honest. Georgia State week, 38.5 point uh, spread this week. You know, there's not a whole lot of X's and O's to cover, a little bit of a lighter week here for me, but we're still going to go down with a similar rundown that we have on Friday's Tweet of the week, quote of the week, who's going to be in town for recruiting because this is a home game. Cover when Penn State has the ball, when Georgia State has the ball, or 3-2-1 breakdown, three matchups, two concepts, one bold prediction, and then the mailbag, which we've abbreviated to one question, which I think, you know what, we'll just do at the outset. Does Penn State cover? Yes. Yes, they do. This is going to be uh, a whitewashing of sorts in September. Uh, Penn State wins big. Uh, but rolling on, as we mentioned, great interview with Monty at the end. And also, before we get to that, too, we're currently up to 99 ratings on iTunes. Someone please put us at triple digits. We, we've done really well so far, and we thank you so much for all the feedback that we've had. It's been wonderful. Um, let's keep that rolling, and feel free to reach out to either of us on Twitter, of course, with any questions for the mailbag um, or anything about the podcast, which now you can follow, too. You made a new account today. Yeah, Penn, at, at Lions 24 7 podcast you can now find us on twitter we'll take uh, questions or interactions or whatnot and uh hopefully get a little uh, uh back and forth between you guys and us so uh yeah follow us uh, lines 20 at lines 24 7 podcast and uh yeah who knows speaking of twitter tweet of the week brought to you by tommy stevens Tommy Stevens, uh, shoot for the stars, man. Uh, anyone have her number? Asking for a friend, of course. Um, uh, posting a picture, a very beautiful young woman. Um, and he got a little help from uh, Ocho Cinco. Um, found him, uh, uh, supermodel Sarah Egan, uh, who goes by Sierra Sky. Uh, excuse me, Sierra Egan, who goes by Sierra Sky. Um, Tommy, I guess setting the bar high. Yeah, you you quote tweeted and, and pulled a little office joke there. You know, um, you miss all 100% of the shots you don't take, dash Wayne uh, Gretzky, dash Tommy Stevens, and he fired, and who knows how this ended up. But you've got to say, I think this is a series of tweet of the week because uh, I think the Ocho Cinco element plays as much as in Tommy Stevens going, wow, that supermodel's really hot. Yeah, he went viral. Uh, bad news for Tommy. He cut his hair last year. He's uh, the flow is gone. So I think you're a big fan of the flow. Any, oh, of course, of course. Any chance with with Sierra Sky? I think he's gone once he cut that that flow. Oh, harsh, Sorry, dude. Tommy. Uh, it happens. Okay, for the best of us, I guess. Well, quote of the week. Uh, this one, I, I'm going to put my full support behind because I think this was great all the way around. Mike Gasicki, by the way, uh, his hair is fine whether he wants to cut it short or long. Uh, Gasicki told us this week about his touchdown celebration, which I'm sure you've noticed 
just has continued on from last year. It's kind of a pulling down, you know, when you were a kid on the highway looking to get like a, a honk from a, from a trucker passing by or a train conductor. He said, quote, about that, the story behind it is a lot of people were writing myself off going into last year. They were writing Penn State off too. So everyone was hopping off the Penn State train. They were hopping off the Mike Kosicki train. And now when I do that, I'm telling everyone that the train has left. It's gone and it's too late to hop on now. If you weren't on it when Penn State wasn't what we are now, or I wasn't what I am now, then it's too late. So when I'm doing that, I'm talking to people that hopped off the train. That's fascinating. Mike's always been a supremely confident guy, even you know when he had his struggles two years ago, uh, dropped a lot of passes and he took it very hard. But you know he's he's a Jersey guy, he's a Jersey Shore guy, he's a, he's a confident guy. Uh, I, I just think it, it's fun to see him. Jim open trains up. laundry. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, you never watched Jersey Shore. I, I did, but uh, not not enough to uh, to quote it like you. I don't know if Connecticut Shore was a thing up there for you it guys. Is, it is not. But I think, no, so. I think it's fantastic because Mike. Uh, they bring Mike out for interviews all the time, and he doesn't say much. He he, he sort of uh, goes back to the same thing. For him to say something like this, I think is phenomenal. Uh, his turnaround has been nothing short of phenomenal. So uh, it's great to see Mike open up a little bit like that. Yeah, and that had kind of leaked out, I think, in the last couple of weeks, but it really blew up this week when he was on the conference call and everyone got wind of this is what the celebration's about. I personally really enjoy it. He's had five straight games with a touchdown. Very likely that we see that again on Saturday against Georgia State. Who else will we see on Saturday on the sidelines? Well, on the sidelines, it's turned into a big recruiting weekend. I mean, it's something that you know you thought maybe could happen with the 7.30 kick. It gives guys a little bit more time. Um, of course, uh, it came out earlier this week, Micah Parsons is going to be in town. That's, yep. that's obviously a big name. Today, just before we recorded, uh, Jason Owe says he's coming out. That was something that sort of uh, crept out of nowhere. He plays at 2 o'clock against Haverford School. Um, he's going to try and get here by the start of the game. Will he get there or not? I'm not sure, but it's a big deal. He's coming off an Ohio State official visit, um, a good Ohio State official visit. And, uh, you know, for Penn State to be able to make an impression, because they weren't going to get him on campus until the Nebraska game for, right, his, for his, his official for his official visit. So getting him on campus to see the atmosphere. I know it's Georgia State, but it's also a night game. So you've got an opportunity for, for a guy like Owe to sort of, um, you know, put Ohio State behind you quicker than it would have been in the first place. So getting him back on campus, I think, is huge. Um, Parsons, Owe. Um, Tyreek Smith, who's, who's not going to be here this weekend, but still three mm-hmm. major targets for Penn State as they try and add another defensive lineman to this to this class. So uh, I think it's a big deal to get him back. And, the, and beyond that, uh, 2019, Antonio Alfano, a uh, five-star kid from Jersey. You've got the top two skill players in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, in the 2020 class. And running back Chris Tyree and uh, wide receiver Julian Fleming from right down the road at Southern Columbia. So mm-hmm. This uh, this is as concentrated as any big weekend that we've had recently. Uh, it's certainly to date this season is the best weekend uh, that they've had. So uh, it's a phenomenal opportunity to, to to show off the night atmosphere while while it's still warm, um, right. and to show off uh, you know what you can see even though it is an, an inferior opponent. Yeah, and I think that's we've heard about this this week so often. Of course, any time there's a, a night game at Beaver Stadium, it's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal when it's the first time of the year. And I think this bodes well, too, because for any of those guys who want to return, and likely will, for the Michigan game, or perhaps if Nebraska's at night, we know Rutgers is a noon kick, but to get so many of these prospects in early, and yes, they have five games in, in September, so this is really going to be a huge chunk of the schedule to get kids in anyway. Um, but with that atmosphere, it's a big bonus, because otherwise, like you mentioned, this is just an inferior opponent. It's a huge spread. You know, you'll probably 
probably see fans leaving after the third quarter, but the kids will get in here and presumably have a good experience. The most important part, and, and Penn State's biggest selling point during the season is obviously they're white out, but this is going to be uh, something similar. The most important part is the pregame leading up uh, till halftime. So if you can put up a bunch of points, get people excited, uh, do the, the, the pregame rituals and everything like that, the second half isn't going to matter. I mean, people are going to leave. Fans are going to leave to beat the traffic because it is, you know, they're going to have to get back to, to Harrisburg, Philly, Pittsburgh, whatever. But um, the, the recruits will, will stay there through that first half, and that's when they're going to, you know, soak it in and take the memories with them when they're thinking about what they're considering with Penn State. You mentioned the first half. Might as well transition here. Penn State has won its coin toss um, both games so far this year against Akron and Pitt. They took the ball. Last year they deferred all five times. I would expect them to take the ball again because, honestly, this is a game – like Akron, you want to roll out as many players as possible. Of course, it means Tommy Stevens on his own, not necessarily in a two-quarterback package. But when Penn State has the ball, a couple things we're looking for. Obviously, a fast start. This is going to be the first 3-4 defense they see on the season. That doesn't alter things a whole lot. Uh, they have rules built in to handle that. But James Franklin was telling us this week, their strength probably lies at cornerback, which doesn't mean they're up to you know Power 5 caliber, perhaps. But it's interesting because last week we saw Mike Gesicki and Saquon Barkley tie for the team lead in catches against Pitt. Well, you had maybe 4 or 5 for all the wideouts combined. So... For me, I would look for them to feed the wideouts early, go to their power run game. They're working on a, quote, finisher's mentality. As we heard from Matt Lime over two weeks ago, receiving his knowledge this week. And if they're able to accomplish those things, I think you see the second, third stringers roll out for the entire second half. Yeah, and you got to match the finisher's mentality for the guy that took the goal line plunge from eight yards out and carried a couple <laughs> defenders over the, over the goal line. Only one guy who can do that. Yeah, that's no, that's no doubt. Ah. And that's the guy I'm interested in. Saquon, how long How long do you keep him in the game? Because they've got a Heisman campaign to run. Obviously, putting him back as a, a kick returner, you want to get him as many touches as possible. And Penn State's not shy about giving him the ball. So yeah, I think you get him a lot of touches early. Um, I don't know that we're going to come out and see him not touch the ball on the first drive like Akron. But, yeah, I think you want to get him those all-purpose yards. Uh, rack up those numbers and get them out of the game because I think that's the, that's the big deal from that from that angle. And a last note for when Penn State has the ball on Saturday, Franklin throughout you know him studying how Stanford deployed Christian McCaffrey. Of course, went in the first round of last year's or this year's NFL draft, and it was kick returns, punt returns, offensively receiving the ball, rushing the ball, of course, and all of his numbers dipped his junior year but as a sophomore when they used him I mean he had over 2,000 yards rushing got close to you know 700 receiving over a thousand kick returning so they're trying to put the ball in his hands where opponents have no choice but to deal with him we saw that in kick return so I think you make a good point they want to feed him in that Heisman campaign you know I think lost a little bit of steam it's still week three of course but last week when you had outstanding performances from likes of Baker Mayfield Lamar Jackson and then you know Saquon Barkley has about 14 touches I think on the ground four catches um, they'll want to feed him more and like I said they're probably not going to have him stick it long around in the second half. Going back to the offense, one one thing I'm interested to see, Connor McGovern against the 3-4 front. He's going to have a guy in his face all day. Um, and then beyond that, Trace McSorley, who was not sharp last week, uh, he's got to make those throws. So I, yeah. I, I think it'll happen. He, he'll have a little bit more time this week um, just to get uh, get – uh, back into form before he goes to Iowa. I think that's going to be a big deal. When Georgia State has the ball, uh, the Panthers are on a similar offense to what Penn State has. You can expect a lot of 11 personnel, meaning three wideouts, one tight end, one running back. 
RPOs, things of that nature. They got a veteran quarterback in Connor Manning, who's a Utah transfer. He was 14 to 17 in their opener against Tennessee State, then got hurt. Reportedly, they've had encouraging news that he may be back. Aaron Winchester is his backup, a little more athletic, can tuck and run the ball. We'll see how they deploy both of those guys. But ultimately, of course, Penn State has got advantages across the board. Interestingly enough, Franklin believes that their strengths also lie in the perimeter. So defensively, it's the cornerbacks. Offensively, it's going to be the wide receivers. And the one name to keep in mind is going to be Penny Hart. Hart was a 2015 freshman All-American. We've heard Nick Scott told him, uh, told us about him this week. Grant Haley did as well in different uh, interviews. So he's a guy that they respect. I don't think it's someone you're necessarily simulating like we saw a week ago with Quadri Henderson where the player is so good, you know, he's a supposed game wrecker. But that's a guy they're going to want to get the ball in space. And I think if they, you know, of course, contain Hart, tackle well, this is over. Um, but you know what? The, there is almost an edge here, even though you know, Georgia State has only played one game. It's a new coaching staff that's familiar with the offense and the limited weapons should play in the Lions' favor. Yeah, and, and I like what Penn State's corners have done so far in terms of being physical because they've faced that wide receiver screen several times in the first two weeks. They've come up, they've engaged the blocker, and and it sort of freed it up for outside linebackers or Marcus Allen coming in and cleaning cleaning things up. So I like, um, you know, Penn State to neutralize that game. And I think a little bit of pressure is going to be on the outside linebackers. I don't think they've played up to their potential so far this year. So I think that's one thing if you're splitting hairs, uh, what you want to look for for Penn State's defense, I think that's where where you go to. Yeah, underrated aspect of those corners tackling has been so short, which you you can't say for the outside linebackers, which you make a great point there. Manny Bowen, at least three missed tackles in each of the first two games, perhaps four uh, last game, depending on how critical you want to get. But Christian Campbell, Grant Haley have been outstanding in that area. So let's go 3-2-1, three matchups. You know, honestly, we've touched upon them all already. Penn State's corners against Georgia State wide receivers. If you take care of the strength of a team, particularly a huge underdog, you give them very little, if any, chance to win. Um, If they stay in front of them they tackle well this one's over second matchup i would watch for you mentioned it Connor mcgovern against 3-4 defense i like georgia state's nose guard i don't like him to start for a, a team like penn state or most programs in the in the power five uh, but nonetheless it's a, it's a different dynamic it took some time to adjust against other teams like wisconsin we saw in the big 10 championship of course you're dealing with a different caliber of player there but it's a scheme that again you don't have a whole lot of tape on it's more of an attacking style than they deployed a year ago when georgia state was about top 10 in the country and explosive plays allowed um so we'll see how he handles it. And of course, you know, McGovern, along with the two guards, are so key to any of that base inside zone game where they've got to have a double team in every single snap. So second matchup I would watch for. And then the first one we let out with, um, you know, of course, Penn State's wide receiver. So we'll go off of that. I would look to special teams. They've been so good. And I think if they get a score there, Georgia State just has no shot. No doubt, especially when you have Barkley back and they want to rack up those all-purpose yards. Uh, the, the cut of athlete on Penn State's team. And Georgia State's got some athletes. I mean, they've got, they pull some of those guys. Yeah. From, from down there that some of those SEC schools and, and some lower schools miss. Um, but they can run. They can they can move. But Penn State, I just think you see the cut of the athlete, uh, the size plus speed. Um, it, it's going to pay off on blocking. And I, I think they could they could take a kick to the house. And I'm not sure how good Georgia State's kicker is. But mm-hmm. if you're kicking that le- at that level, you're probably not putting it in the end zone every, every uh, kick. Three matchups. Now on to two concepts. Uh, we mentioned this before. You know, the screens wanted to get the ball to Penny Hart and company in space. I think that's also going to be done to negate Penn State's pass rush. I don't think Penn State will blitz a whole lot, uh, but because they've got an advantage in the trenches. So you'll see, you know, tunnel screens, bubble screens, hitches. And again, that will test Penn State's tackling, which again, if that's a test that they can pass, they're on their way to a big win. The second one I would look for is a pin and pull run. This is something Franklin mentioned uh, in his press conference on Tuesday. And run that Pitt used, as I detailed in my tell the tape this 
week to kind of find its flow on offense. Now, Pitt ran this play, again, it's called the pin and pull out of an unbalanced set. But basically, the concept is this. It's a different version of the outside zone where if you think of an offensive line, say you throw a tight end and the outside two, the tight end and the tackle are going to take their nearest men and turn them back towards where the snap is, the interior part of the line. That's the pin. Then just to the left of them, some combination of, you know, the guard, the center and the opposite guard, two of them are going to pull around and clear space for the running back who will then run in that direction towards the strong side. So again, this is something Penn State allowed Pitt to continue its drives on. You know, of course, Georgia State saw that. It's a part of their offense anyway, and I expect them uh, to run it quite a bit on Saturday. Yeah, and Penn State's defensive tackles need to, to step back up. They obviously took a step backwards last uh, last week against Pittsburgh. So I think that they're going to have some pressure on it from a uh, schematic standpoint. They're just going to have to hold their ground a little bit better than they did last week. Right, and that's the most basic version of pin to pull I can explain it 30 seconds in a podcasting and if you want more information feel free to check out the tale of tapes this week uh, both offense and defense and i'll have all the information you need there three matchups done two concepts down one big prediction we uh, both misfired big time in this last week (laughs) very confidently saying Pitt uh, was going to suffer the same fate of akron and having 50 plus points hung on them penn state only posted 33 uh, what do you got this week? I think Penn State gets the the elusive kickoff return touchdown. Ah, yeah, and I think Barkley gets it. And you pad those all purpose yards. You can put it up on the website, and you know a, a hundred yard kickoff return return will go a long way when you're boasting about all purpose yards. So I think they can take a kickback this week. Okay, I'm going to go with something similar here, but that touchdown is instead scored defensively. I don't know if it's going to be an interception, forced fumble, or whatnot, but they've got such su- Superior speed there compared to Georgia State's offense. I think in the front seven in particular, uh, you'll see someone taking it back to the house, doing a little dance, and they'll be leading Penn State. So again, a big win. I think they win by at least 40, which will cover the spread, uh, which was the only question in the mailbag. So the only segment we have left. One, one going back to my prediction, I meant special teams touchdown. <laughs> I said kickoff. Oh, I don't, don't the, backtrack now. How many kickoffs is there? The segment feel? is bold prediction. Oh my gosh, you're the worst. Uh, I didn't put the words in your mouth. You no, know, I didn't write it down either but no i uh, special teams probably because they're gonna get a heck of a lot more opportunity to return a punt than they are we were going so strong in the Madi interview and now you want to limp yeah well that's too bad we're gonna come back <laughs> strong with the Madi interview uh michael w- was fantastic with his time he got a little uh you know he got going a little bit as yeah. he will um but yeah it, it's fantastic and and have a listen michael thanks for joining us yeah, thanks for having me sean great to be here We've been wanting to get you on for a while, and you were one of the first guys I asked when we started this podcast. You said you'd do it. Uh, you had a little bit less time back then uh, preparing for the NFL season. Uh, unfortunately, you have a little bit of uh, a little bit less time right now. What are you up to now? What's next for you? How's everything going on that front? Uh, well, fortunately, I guess for you, I got I got a little more time. But uh, right now, I am I'm actually down in Pensacola training at uh, at the Andrews Institute. The Ag- Exos, they call it, but basically, you know, without, you know where all the guys train for the combine stuff. They got a big gym down here, and um, and they train you and they feed you and everything else, and pretty good setup. So, uh, just staying in shape and waiting for a call here, and uh, you know, one of those things you just got to be stay ready, and and I feel like this is the best place I could do that. Mike, one of the questions we like to ask of graduates of the program is that, you know, typically, with obviously with all the changes, uh, there seems to be not a disconnect, but a shift in terms of your connection with Penn State. You know, from where they are now under uh, James Franklin to people who were coached under Joe Paterno and uh, Bill O'Brien, obviously, like you, is there a sense of there's a different connection you have to the school, or has that remained the same since you left? Well, no, it certainly changed. I mean, it's, it's not, um, you know, you had... 
you have Coach O'Brien who and Coach Paterno who I played for, and uh, I think uh, the Franklin had basically uh, brought into the modern era. You know, he brought in uh, a lot of guys to the old guard. Kind of, I could understand how they didn't really connect with that. And um, but look, I mean, the sooner you win, and the sooner everybody's going to kind of just shrug their shoulders and say, "Hey, this is the way my man's going to do it." Then. Uh, we, you know, well support him. So, you know, this is at the end of the day, I think he's done the right things and he's won. And uh, that's all really anybody cares about. I think, uh, you know, obviously we want to do it the right way and under the, you know, within those parameters. But, uh, look, I didn't, like I said, the sooner, you know, the sooner he won the games, the sooner it's better. Yeah, you saw them win in person. Uh, made it to the Rose Bowl last year, barely. I know you got a story behind that, but uh, you saw this team grow and, and go on the remarkable run that they went on last year. What's your thoughts as an alum, as a guy that uh, you know sort of put them in position to be where they were last year? Uh, well, to, I mean, to me, really, the, the whole season, the way that they, you know, they started off slow, and and then the way they came, they when they grew as a team together, it was really fun to watch their progression and their growth throughout the year and. And um, you know, I wanted to be at the at the Big Ten championship game, but I, saw, but I couldn't make that. I was it was like a two weeks after, or like a week after, I had my I had a surgery, so um, ended up making it to the Rose Bowl though. And yeah, I was on the I was on the plane sitting next to my wife, and and I realized uh, you know my, I had the four tickets sitting on the on a magnet hanging on you know on the fridge, and sure enough, they they were there. So uh, as we were in the air on the way to Los Angeles, so. You know, if if my if she could, I'm sure my wife would have thrown me out of the plane right there. She was not happy with me, but um, yeah, you know what? We got a resolve, so it was all good. We ended up <laughs> ended up just walking out there anyway, with hanging with Sandy Barber, and was like, I don't even think I needed a ticket. <laughs> it was great. Now, Mike, obviously you're quite busy during the fall and the winter, and you, you are now, but how much did your um, you know following of the team last year pick up as they started to go on that streak, or how much time do you typically have to, to follow a Penn State game on Saturday? Um, you know what? It's pretty unique in the NFL locker room because on Saturdays, it's, it will depend on what time they play. They, you know, if it's a noon game or if it's a 3 o'clock game, uh, you know, we, we usually get out of a – we usually have the TVs on in the locker room and the, and the um, you know, just, just constant um, back and forth between guys' schools and, you know, betting going on. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we're not supposed to do that, but, uh, you know, I would say friendly bets on teams. And, and we, we get out of the walkthrough probably around like 1130. We'll get back in the locker room. So you've got a couple games on already. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as much as they were on TV, I tried to watch as much as I could. I mean, obviously there's sometimes you just can't when you're in a meeting or whatever, but, but I watched as much uh, as much of them as I could, and, and they were really towards the end of the year. Um, like I said, they were really fun to watch. I mean, it was like the watch of a different team. Sometimes in the same game, you love watching two different teams. You know, that's what made them exciting. Right now, I got to ask you: those friendly bets, had you made one pretty much after you know October, you would have won. Uh, did you come out with anything special? Make any sort of bets? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I didn't win many. Uh, it's the last, I guess, two years. But this year, I feel like I broke even, and I made up for it in the Big Ten championship game. And um, you know, throughout the rest of the year, now they, I, I mean, I, I'm not a huge better, but or you know, I'm not betting on games. But uh, for sure, I'll get to walk around the locker room the next day with a, with a lot of pride, and I get to talk a little crap too. So it's always good. 
Well, Michael, it's been five years since the uh, NCAA sanctions came through. I know you have some fond memories of that time period. Uh, thinking back, what's your reflection on that, on, on when it happened and the time since? I mean, I know you've got plenty of thoughts that came out at the time, but uh, I guess reflecting as an older, more mature Michael Motti, what, what are you thinking uh, looking back to that time? Um, you know what? I still think about how crazy that time period was. Uh, the, the, you know, we coming out of July, you know, or I guess going into July in 2012, we come, uh, you know, we were, we had a great team. And that's what I think everybody kind of forgets about or forgot about. Um, you know, when you got into training camp, it was like, uh, or at least that, that first week of the sanctions when they first broke, it was like, uh, you know, all these guys ain't going to win a game and blah, blah. And it was like, well, the week before we had like 35 seniors and everyone, we were stacked, you know, and, um, so all year long, we were like, you know, we had a lot of confidence that we were going to be a great team. And so, um, you know, it was kind of like that whole situation was just, Hey, let's just keep as many of our guys here that we can, uh, just win games. And, uh, I don't think that, uh, we realized the scope of what we were doing at the time. And I think that, but, you know, we had a good, a lot of good people around us to kind of help guide us through it. Number one, number two. People were also telling us that we, you know, mentors that people that we trusted were like, "Hey, you don't realize like what you're doing right now, but just keep doing it," you know. And so we were like, "All right, um, you know, we don't we don't realize like the ramifications of what we're going to be doing here, but like down the road we're going to see the benefits of it." And I think, um, you know, a lot of sacrifices that really those younger teammates made for the four years, and we knew that they were going to really have the worst of it. Um, you know, for us, it was one year some of those guys three or four years and uh, of going through that and paying a price for it. But I think uh, if you ask any of them, they wouldn't regret it. And we told them that up front. It was like, uh, look, here's what we know you will, you won't be able to do is let's go play the bowl game and, and play for championship. But at the same time, here's the experience that you will have. And this is why you won't regret it. And, and I think a lot of people bought into that. And a lot of guys, um, you know, because Ben said really is a special place. I mean, that's just, that's not just lip service. And we weren't, you know, these guys trusted us. We trusted them. It was, it was a pretty tight-knit group we had. And it was just a – it was really uh, the right, I guess, the right class. You know, you got to bring it back to 2011 when, you know, this – you know, when, when that class was – when the 2012 class was juniors, or I guess their fourth-year guys, um, you know, we had seen the whole thing fall apart. So we kind of knew, you know, at least we had that experience of, like, how to act – how not to act like you know from that up from the class ahead of us and <clears throat> you know they were really the guys that got got this got the raw end of the deal because they were you know they were playing under a total i mean it was a total cluster in the 2011 year when joe gets fired mid-year and then was like uh, bradley's the head guy and he's you know it's who's gonna be the next guy and there's all this you know pulling tugging going on in different directions and you know we didn't want to go to the you know, we didn't, the guys didn't want to go to the Ticket City Bowl, and we had to get them. That was a whole nother ordeal, and you know, dealing with with Joiner and those guys, that was a that was an interesting meeting. And uh, what do you mean by that? Mike? And so that they, uh, well, we, I mean, the, those guys. Well, we're bringing back to 2011. Like I said, um, that fall, you know, that the, the that the 2012 class really had seen 
the worst of it, which the worst really started in, in the eleven, when, like I said, Joe gets fired from Peter, Bradley's a coach, you know, we go, we go, we got to win one of the last games, and we go, we split a, a Big Ten championship, which is a miracle considering what was going on on the inside of the program, and, uh, you know, we ended up winning none of the games because it was uh, just total chaos, but because um, really you had the foundations crumbling underneath everybody. Everyone's kind of figuring out what they're going to do. And I guess, you know, you had the FBI in the facility, <laughs> like, investigating what the hell was going on. And uh, which to us was just like, look, let's just focus on what we can do here. But but when you had um, the players were really the guys that, like, you know, nobody was really going to come to us and saying, hey, like, here are your options. Like here, no, it's just like this is what you're going to do. And, and so that the senior class of, of, I guess the 11 class really didn't really take too calmly to that. And they, uh, and so they didn't want to really go. They didn't want to go to the bowl, the bowl game. And so it took really, you know, it took uh, a couple of alumni to kind of shake them around and and kind of say, hey, no, like we're gonna we're gonna go to this game. I mean, we had a team meeting about it, and um, I remember Shane Conlon. We walked in. We walked the team right outside the team meeting room. Um, Shane, all the teams like filing into the squad room, and and Shane catches my arm outside of the meet room, and I'm like, I said, Shane, what's up, man? He's like, hey, he's like, I heard that you guys don't want to go to this game. He's like, you better go to the damn game. You don't go to this game, y'all gonna look like a bunch of freaking little spoiled little brats, all right? So he's like, you better make these tons of bitches go to this game. And I'm like, oh shit, all right. Well, Shane, I mean, this dude's a freaking I mean, he was like royalty to me, so I'm like, hell yeah, okay, I'm, we'll get him going here. I got you. Right. And uh, so uh, we get in the we get in the team room, and we were all kind of debating about it one way or the other, and everybody kind of wanted to have their say their little piece, and and uh, you know, after about like 15 minutes of deliberating, uh, I'm like, you know, basically just stood up and was like, all right, show of hands, like we are going to this freaking game. Like if you if you guys don't. Uh, understand like the position we're in. If we just go home and just sit around and say, "No, we're not going." Like we're gonna look like the biggest assholes ever, and uh, you know, the biggest little crybabies. Like we're the victims here, which is we're not. So let's just go deal with our circumstances. And and uh, so finally, it was like literally show of hands, and then we had like about it was probably about eighty twenty that we're gonna go. Meanwhile, this whole like deliberation process, I had Joiner waiting outside the squad room, <laughs> waiting to come talk to us, and. Uh, so we had decided we were going to go, and he's outside probably just steaming because I, I called him to the meeting to talk to the team, and and I made him wait outside. The, <laughs> I made him wait outside the, the squad room for like 15 minutes while we figured out if we were going to go or not. And uh, so he comes in, and and that didn't really go very well. And and then uh, yeah, that kind of turned into a little bit of a semi. I guess it was nearly an altercation verbally, and then uh, so we ended up. Let him know that we decided that we were going to go, and and it was kind of like a crisis averted. But um, so my point is, is that 2012 team had really seen a lot of shit go down, and so we were prepared in in a lot of ways for that July of 12 to go through crisis mode, and um, that's what I don't think a lot of people. I think that's a very underestimated or uh, understated part of of like how we got through it because like we had seen crisis already you know and that's um and that's the way we got through it we knew kind of we had experience 
Right. Now, Michael, we hear so often about championship teams meeting years down the road, five, 10-year anniversaries, 20, sharing this bond of having won a title. And obviously, that 2012 team is honored you know, in Beaver Stadium, just like the other championship teams uh, above the suite. So I'm curious, when you speak with guys who are a part of that group and went, went through so much as you just detailed, is there a different sense of, of the bond that that group had as opposed to a 2011 or other teams that you've been a part of? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's no question. That, that to me, I mean, even now for me, I mean, it was that was the best team I've ever been on. I mean, it was the best, it was the closest team that I've ever been on. I mean, any one of those guys, I could pick up the phone. I mean, I still keep in touch with like, I mean, a regular, I'm you know, pick up the phone to see how you're doing, kind of conversation with like probably ten guys, ten or twelve guys on that team. I mean, which is a lot. Um, but any one of those guys, coaches included. And um, that's what I think going through something like that, <clears throat> it really does um, It really does make you bond in a way that, that um, no other situation can, you know. It's a, it's a really unprecedented adversity, so you got unprecedented uh, connection with people and going through something like that. I was talking to Gerald shortly after it happened, and some of those guys obviously chose to take different paths, you know, uh, transfer or the free transfer or whatnot. And it, he was pretty upset, uh, outwardly upset about it. How do you look back on those guys? Those guys that took to, you know, sort of took off and went to other other schools. I don't know. There was, I, I know there was no really hard feelings about guys that that decided that they wanted to leave, but but uh, all we could do was convince them, or at least. Uh, you know, try and bring them the fact the best we could as to why, like, this was going to be a very special year and why they should be around for it and what, what they would be missing out on. And I think that we had kind of a little bit of the foresight to say, look, like, imagine what we could be if we overcome this shit and win. And um, and I think that was a, a, resonate, a message that resonated with a lot of guys, but, but obviously not all the guys. So um, I think the longer that – you know, the longer Silas held out, you know, he wait, he waited about a week or two. It may, might have been two weeks. The longer that he kind of held out, it, the, the longer it, the more it isolated him from us. And it kind of was like, a, okay, listen, if you, you know, we, we're not going to give him, you know, he's got as long as he wants to make a decision. But the longer it goes, it's like we're we're moving on. You know, like we're going to play with the guys we got and that want to be here and that want to be with us. It's like if you got to think that hard about it, then. And uh, you know we're, we're, this train's rolling. So um, you know we obviously like there was never any you know obviously we knew that Silas could help us win, and we wanted him to stay. Look, Silas was a roommate of mine. Um, you know I knew him very well. I was close with him. I, you know we were at his apartment, sitting there talking to him. I was on the phone with Dad. You know like we were we were in the car when we heard USC was gonna. Um, I mean shit, Ogeron called my phone. To, uh, he said, oh, my, hey, Mike, so Ogeron's son goes to Mandible High, or did. And so I know Coach O from, I mean, he recruited me when I was at Ole Miss, or when he was at Ole Miss trying to get me to go there. And I was, so I get a phone call from the L.A. number. I'm thinking, you know, I was getting calls from everywhere around the country then. And those, that couple of days, I'm just thinking like, oh, shit, maybe USC's calling me. And so I pick an answer to the phone. It's Coach O. Hey, Mike, uh, how you doing, man? This is crazy stuff. Like, uh. I'm not doing the Coach O voice very well, but he's like, what y'all's running back saying? You guys, what's it serious? Is it serious, uh, Cyrus? Cyrus? 
I'm like, you talking about Silas? Silas Red. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, say, man, you, you have his phone number. You want to give him my phone number? Tell him to call me. I was like, you son of a bitch. So he calls me. So I gave him up. I ended up, uh, look, I, I, I let Silas make his own decision. I wasn't going to, like, hold that from him. So um, I ended up giving him Coach O's number. I said, hey, look, USC wants to talk to you, blah, blah. We had heard that, like, they were sending the, all the coaches out to Connecticut to his house, like Lane Kiffin and, and all the, and Coach O, and, like, we were in the car packing up, and I, I called up Fitz. I was like, hey, we're going to Connecticut to, like, meet, meet these USC coaches, and we're going we're gonna, to, like, we're going to fight them on the, on the lawn. Like, that's – No. <laughs> we were ready to go. <laughs> in the car up. We were, I remember, literally, I was gassing the car up, and me and Zordich were in the car. And, and, uh, look, I, I called Fitz and then, or I texted Fitz, Gerald, our strength coach. I'm like, Hey, we're going to go to Connecticut. So two minutes later, Brian calls me. He's like, he's like, Hey man, like I, he's like, I hear you. Like I, I hear you. And I, like, I feel you on what you what we're trying to do. But like, look, he don't want to be here. Like, just let him go. Like, you know, screw it. We're moving on. Like, that's stupid. You know, don't do that. And so we're like, okay, like took a deep breath. We're like, all right, that was a little bit crazy. So we kind of just were, you know, we just let it happen. And, and um, you know, obviously those guys could have helped us, Farrah and, and um, Justin and, and Silas. But, you know, as far as the other guys, you know, most of them are walk-ons that would have never played anyway. So they were getting – I mean, they were guys getting offers from, like, Oklahoma and different places – and these guys were like scout team guys, and they were getting these really big offers. So we were like, "Hey, man, like, good for you." You know, at the end of the day, if you're you know, if you got to pay to be here, and you're going to get a scholarship somewhere else, well, nobody's going to argue with that. So like, go do what you got to do. You know, those guys weren't going to help us anyway. Um, so we didn't really feel like there was much loss there. But um, you know, obviously, the media kind of blew that out of proportion. Because they had their narrative that they wanted to follow, that the whole program was falling apart and guys were jumping the ship, but that's really wasn't, you know, those were not the guys we were most concerned about. Michael, five years later, did did Penn State get the last laugh? Uh, did you guys, your team, your 2012 team, and, and and since then, have they gotten the last laugh? And I know uh, people want me to bring up Mark Emmert, but did you guys get the last laugh against him? You think? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, every, uh, you know. You, you don't have to get into a uh, – look, he can say whatever he wants to say about his justification for what he did, but everybody knows it was the wrong thing. And at the end of the day, um, you know, he could lay his head down at night and tell himself whatever he wants to go to sleep, but uh, he knows it wasn't the right move, and we all do too. So um, I think that at the end of the day, uh, you know, Penn State really showed what kind of people they have there and what kind of uh, culture they have there. And, and you know, that was just not the way that – uh, he portrayed it, so um, you know it's funny. You know, people in that kind of power, they can just change the rules and do whatever they want to do. And you know, that's I think in a different, maybe a different school, you had some people that would have stood up to him at the time. You know, I imagine this happening to like a, a place like like Texas or something, and they say, you know, no, we're going to take away your scholarships and uh, um, like the administration of the board just being like, well, okay, on what grounds? Like, come and take them, you know, like, make us. Like, how how would that would have gone, you know? So, um, that's how I feel about that. I mean, I, I feel like there could have been, 
you know, the, the, the way it happened was, was great. Now that the program's having success, and I credit Franklin and his staff, the way that he's recruited guys and gotten them in there, and the players that stuck around, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we all know NCAA didn't have any grounds to do what they did. Okay. We'll get you out on a higher note here. Uh, real quick, you've, you've seen the team. It brought back from last year's Big Ten title team. Your thoughts on how the rest of the season uh, unfolds for this group? Uh, look, I think this is a this – is uh, I, mean, I don't want to provide any, like, reading material for them. I, I, you know, I think that they – that in college football, I think it happens a week, you know, every week. But at the same time, they got a lot of talent and they, like, they got a lot of potential. So it's up to them how good really they want to be. I know that from a talent standpoint, uh, that's as good of a team as I've seen. And uh, they seem to be cooking on, on a lot of cylinders right now. So, uh, you know, across the board, they got a lot of talent and guys that can, guys that can make plays and, and, I mean, some really heavy talent. So the sky is the limit for that team. It's just a matter of how hard they want to work and, and stick together and, and continue doing what they're doing. I mean, I know they got a, you know, college football is a long schedule, but, but uh, look, that's a great team. I mean, everybody knows what kind of guys you got to run back and quarterback, shoot safety. I mean, Marcus Allen might be my favorite guy to watch on the defense. Awesome. Well, Moss, fascinating insight. Thanks for coming on. Well, I'm sure we will have you on again at some point, and hopefully we see you back in an NFL uniform soon. Uh, good luck to you, and thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean, for having me. That's as good of a team as I've seen. Uh, that says a lot, you know, considering the talent he's been around. Um, you know, he, he knows, I think, the skill positions are, are much different than when he played, especially coming through the sanctions, uh, what he saw after he was done. So uh, Mike Motti, uh, Michael Motti, whatever you want to call him, fantastic once again, and a great way to wrap up the podcast this week. Yeah, we thank him for his time. We thank you for your time, for listening each and every week. We'll be back on Monday with a wrap at Georgia State, looking into Iowa, the first road trip of the season. 7.30, it's going to be an NBC. Uh, we've talked about it all off-season, the first real test for Penn State here in 2017. We'll see you then.